We are on, in the second to last uh, sermon on the tongue, as we've been going through the tongue, and uh, we started in James 3, and we finished Titus last, last winter, well, in December, and, and now we've been in the series of the tongue, that we'll finish it next week, and then after that we'll be beginning the book of John. Um, just We've been covering various aspects of the tongue, and, and our foundational text, as I said, was James 3. And then from that, we've been looking at different aspects of our tongue and ways in which we sin with our tongue and how we need to change the way that we speak and not just stop doing something, but rather put something else on. And so we're going to see another element of that this morning. Now, I don't know about you and how many grew up in this world, but I, I grew up in the world of musicals. Uh, my mom loved musicals, and I was in choir and, and drama all through high school and junior high, and I just always liked musicals. And yes, I know in reality musicals are dumb. I get that. Like, no one walking down Orange Street breaks into song, and within 60 seconds, people come dancing out of Orange Street Market, waving their craft beers and swinging their fresh-baked organic baquettes as batons. I understand that. However, at the same time, it's maybe more likely for that to happen than for a doctor to swell up five times his size, turn green, and start swinging a train like a bat. Just saying. But we're okay with that, it seems. But back to musicals, my range of musicals stretched from the classics of the black and white Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers to the newer ones, by newers I mean like 60s and 70s, uh, with uh, Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly. And one of my favorites growing up was the musical The Music Man. Uh, Many of you probably have, have seen that. It's a story of a scam artist who goes by the name Professor Harold Hill. And Professor Harold Hill pretends to be a music teacher, though he knows nothing about music. And he goes into towns, and he pretends to be a music teacher and set up a boys' band. And this is in the early 1900s. And then he collects money, and once the instruments and, and the uniforms come in, he collects all the money from the people, and then he leaves town and vanishes. He's a scam artist. But while he stays in the town, he's a master at evading the, the things that would come at him to maybe reveal who he really is. And he's also a master at winning people over. There's one scene in the movie that I've always liked, and it's about midway through the movie, and the mayor's wife, along with her, her group of older friends, stop Professor Harold Hill and remind him her husband is investigating him and believes him to be a fraud. Hill goes on and says he looks forward to revealing his credentials to the mayor, and all the while, the mayor's wife is annoyed, and she looks off into the distance, and she's standing there just tapping her foot. And Hill, being the scam artist and the skilled man he is, stops her and he says, oh, this is shit. What rhythm. Please, I've never seen someone with so much rhythm. Would you chair the women's dance committee? And to which she's just, oh, this is amazing. And he wins her over with that. And then he asks about the woman in town he's actually romantically interested in, Marion, the librarian. This leads to a song that is a lecture called Pick a Little, Talk a Little. And as these women sing this song, they reveal all the juicy gossip they know about Marion the librarian. As you listen to the song, they assume motives. They assume they know what's happening behind closed doors. They assume 
all of these things and what they perceive to be her lack of character, and it goes on and on. And the climax of the song comes when they argue about who's going to reveal the juiciest piece of gossip they know, that they suspect Marianne was romantically involved with the richest man in town. And the scene goes something like this. One of the ladies comes in and, and she says, and the worst thing is, though I shouldn't tell you this, and another older lady breaks in and she says, no, 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 I'll tell. And then she gets interrupted by another older lady that says, no, 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 let me tell the man lives on my street. To which the mayor's wife interrupts with a somber, stern voice and says, move over, I'll tell. It's a familiar picture of gossip, isn't it? A bunch of old ladies delighting in the latest bit of juicy information that they happily and dramatically spread around like warm butter on hot toast. And we don't mind talking about gossip like that because we can keep it out there. Yet gossip is a real issue for the people of God. And we know this because all through the Bible, there are warnings about gossip. So, first point on your notes this morning is closed to gossip. Now, this is a little bit of a different sermon than I normally preach. Normally, we we camp out in a text, and we unpack the text, and we unfold the text, we explain the text, we apply the text. This morning, I'm going to move through a lot of different texts regarding gossip because there are so many uh, nuggets on it. We're going to mainly be camped out in Proverbs, but as we begin this on gossip, here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you with this. Look at your own heart. Resist the temptation to look at the hearts of others, because you can't see in there anyways. Resist that temptation. And instead, ask, Lord, what do you want to show me this morning about this issue? Where might you be engaging in gossip, and how could you grow in this area? Now, we're going to look at two tech texts in particular as we begin. There's two primary Hebrew words that refer to gossip in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs. And uh, Proverbs 16.28 and Proverbs 20.19 kind of represent both of these two words. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs and turn to Proverbs 16. Now I'm going to have all of these verses on the screen, but I think it's helpful if if you go there yourself already. Proverbs 16, we're going to look at verse 28. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Here in this verse, we find that One who gossips is a whisperer. This is one who is a chatterer, a -a talk-a-lots. A person who gossips and sows strife. They stir up strife, they stir up trouble, and they seem to leave a path of conflict and arguing behind them. And they bring strife not into their own relationships, but they somehow manage to separate people that are friends outside of them by gossiping about them out there. And so they ruin not only their own relationships, but the relationships of others as they gossip. Another example of this Hebrew word in use is found in Proverbs 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, 
they go down into the inner parts of the body. Well, let's go forward. Just a few Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 20, uh, verse 19. Let's look at the other Hebrew word that is frequently used regarding gossip. Proverbs twenty nineteen. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters his lips. Now, I have two translations up on the screen of this verse, one from the New King James, one from the ESV. You can see here the ESV translates it, this word slandering. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Pay attention to the adjectives that describe the person who gossips. Words like the fool, the flatterer, a simple babbler. Here, this Hebrew word is meaning to be a slanderer or a talebearer who reveals secrets. One who promotes juicy information about others, telling others things that seem to be exciting to hear, and yet they cause harm with their words of gossip. We see another example of this Hebrew word in Proverbs eleven thirteen. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Both these Hebrew terms overlap, and depending on the context, the two different words can actually be translated the same, because they're very similar. But we see a similar thing in the Greek, in the New Testament. Let's look at some passages in the New Testament. I'll have them on the screen here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12.20, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. Here we see two words that are used for gossip, backbiting and whispering. Backbiting refers to the more open slander, things said in public, whereas whispering is more secret. It's slyly done, disguised as something like a prayer request. Or perhaps expressing a concern of, about someone to other people. But both of these words refer to defaming someone or damaging their reputation and causing others to see that person in a negative light. The other word that we see for gossip in the New Testament, we find in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. Paul here is talking about younger widows and, and uh, things with younger widows for them to think about and for Timothy to think about as he ministers to younger widows. And speaking about these widows, he says, They learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. This word here, translated as gossips, refers to being a tattler, one who babbles, talks nonsense, speaks things which are foolish, speaks things which might be true or might not be true. This person causes damage, not only in relationships, but in the church. We see this word used a second time in 3 John 10 of a leader in the church. So note this, just because someone's a leader in the church doesn't mean they don't, couldn't struggle with this issue. We see this as John writes to uh, this person. Can you go to that? For some reason, it's not wanting to work here for me. 
there we go, Third John 9 through 10. John writes this, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this is a man who's a leader in the church, and he's a prideful man. Here, this word that was in Second or First Timothy translated as gossip here is talking wicked nonsense. It's the same Greek word. This gossip is bringing harm not only to John, the apostle, but also to those in the church. And note here the source that we see of the gossip. It's pride and self-righteousness. He likes to put himself first. He's a prideful man. And so in unpacking these verses, we get a clearer picture of what gossip is. Gossip is speaking about things that shouldn't be spoken of regarding other people, things that may or may not be true, in order to tarnish someone in the eyes of another, and the result is damaged relationships. Ken Sandy defines gossip as this. Gossip is to reveal or discuss personal facts about another person for no legitimate purpose. It often betrays a confidence. Now, Gary Brady Brady and his commentary on Proverbs, as he's talking about gossip, is not quite so kind with us. He says this, Gossip is hateful, dispiriting, belligerent, judgmental, spiteful, mean, disloyal, self-congratulatory, and slack, the very opposite of spirituality. He kind of punches us in the gut there. But he's right. If we look at all of the Proverbs that talk about this. See, it's gossip when we talk to someone about someone and the person that we are talking to is not a part of the problem or a part of the solution. Now, here's a great thing uh, that I think we should consider about whether or not we're talking about someone. Should I talk about this with this person? Well, the two questions we need to ask ourselves, are they a part of the problem or are they a part of the solution? In other words, are they going to be coming in to help? If they're not coming in to help, then don't talk about that other person with them. This helps narrow down who we talk to about someone. And so what are the ways that we gossip? Because, after all, I don't see people standing in the back of our church arguing and fighting about who gets to tell the latest juicy news of gossip, something for which I am very thankful. I am grateful. So I've been in churches where that seems to happen. It doesn't happen here. So how do we maybe gossip? Well, let me give you some examples. This is just my opinion. This isn't God's word. I think the greatest area in which we see gossip in the local church is talking about one's spouse. This is where I think gossip happens more than any other area in the church, talking about one's spouse. Paul Tripp, addressing this issue, says this, Our churches are riddled with women's gatherings, formal and informal, that are not so much times of healthy fellowship, 
and unhealthy times for complaint against the men in their lives. And that's true. He's not being a chauvinist there. I've seen it multiple times. But it's not just Tripp who's saying that out of nowhere. Paul said the same thing in 1 Timothy 5.13. But this isn't just a problem for women. It's a problem for men also. And it's tragic that the person that we are to love and cherish the most is so often the subject of our gossip. The second area of gossip that happens in the church is talking about one's children. Now think about this for a moment. Talking about one's children. For some reason, we think that because there are children, it's okay to gossip about them. As if there's some unwritten parental pact here or something. Oh yeah? Let me tell you about my kid. Well, you won't believe what my son did. Oh, I'm just so frustrated with my daughter right now. Just because there are children does not mean that God's rules and commandments about communication go out the window. Or can be disregarded. So often we speak to our kids or we speak about our kids in a way we would not dare to speak about someone else in the church or to someone else in the church. The third area of gossip that I see happens is talking about others in the church in subtle ways. Subtle ways. We can talk about them in a negative way behind their back. A big one is we assume we know someone's motives. We assume we know someone's heart. We talk about another person in a way that just subtly lowers their reputation in the sight of others. And the tragic thing is, and this I see all the time, we talk about that which we really don't know that much about. We talk like we know about a person and we really don't know very much at all. But the sad thing is, is our lack of knowledge about the situation and the person does not lead to a lack of self-control with our tongue. We've become so proficient at this. We spiritualize it. But it's just plain old gossip. We often spiritualize what is just plain old sin. Let me give you some examples. Please be praying for Diane. She's just really struggling to love her husband right now. And I've just noticed she's so impatient with her children. Have you noticed that? Or pray for Mike, because I think he's finding his identity in his work. He makes a mistake at work, and it just crushes him. Or, I know, I've been kind of frustrated with a pastor recently, too. He really should be spending more time in the office studying. Or, I'm really struggling with how to relate to Barbara. Can you help me better understand the odd things that she says? I mean, just the other day she said to me, another one, guys, does it seems to you, seem to you like when, when Jack leads worship, he's more concerned about how he plays than he is about actually worshiping God? Sounds innocent. All those sound innocent, don't they? But they're gossip. We're just spiritualizing. What is plain old sin? The last area of gossip 
that I see happening in the local church is when one appoints themselves as the pillar of truth. People are talked about, but it's necessary in order to reveal the errors in their theology or in their life. pastor was praying the other week and he used the wrong term i used it wrongly and i'm i let him know and and i'm just letting you know because i don't want you to be led astray either or jenny was talking in bible study the other day and it's clear she does not understand the trinity you need to realize that i'm going to send her an email later tonight i see this even with certain preachers or speakers They openly talk about those who they disagree with and even will mock them. And if confronted, they they will say, well, I'm just speaking what is true. Now, side note here, there is a biblical precedent to expose publicly a heretic. But there's a big difference between someone we disagree with and a heretic. We need to understand that. I see this issue a lot with online blogs and articles and Facebook Goodness gracious, be careful. I had someone one time email me an article and said, they said, see, this is why this denomination is all messed up. And I read through the article, and, <laughs> and this guy was spreading this. This is why this denomination is all messed up. And I, I read through it, and it was a satire article. It was a mock, it was a funny article intended to be funny, something so silly it was a spoof. And this guy took it as true and started spreading it around the church. Check your resources. We have to be careful. Just a couple months ago, I read something about a pastor that I used to work with. And the article was going on about how off this pastor was and how mistaken he was. And this article went on and on. And they did, I knew the situation and the pastor, and they did not understand what had happened. And they put a big online thing about it guard yourself, be careful. Now, gossip is something we're warned often of in Scripture. We see it as the mark of a fool and a sinner. There's great danger, though, in gossip. And here's why. Gossip rarely stays gossip. It rarely stays gossip. It usually turns to slander. See, there's words in the Bible that talk about gossip, and then there's words that talk about slander. So Proverbs 10, 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. So there's hatred at work in their heart. There's anger there. And they slander. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Psalm 50, verse 19 through 20. You give your mouth free reign for evil. And your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. In other words... The person you're supposed to really love and be united to, you're slandering them. We see this in the New Testament as well, 2 Timothy 3. I don't, can't read the whole thing. This is all the list of the last days, which is the days we're living in right now, Paul defines. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unliving, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. We see a warning as we went through the book of Titus 
uh, last fall. Older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. In Titus 2.3. And when we went through Titus 2, if you remember, the word slander has the same root word as the devil. Diabolos. It's the same root word. It can be translated as the devil or slander. To slander means to find faults with others and speak about those faults. They're harmful statements. And they're often untrue. And they're intended to bring harm to another. Now we should be challenged here with the beginning of this definition. To find faults. There are some people who walk around and it seems like their mission is to find faults with people. We should be challenged with that. How often do we spend time looking for the faults of other people, finding the faults of other people, and dwelling on their faults? Looking at where they fall short in sin. Here we're reminded of James 3, which was what we started with when we began this in January. James 3, verse 9, with it, talking about the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, or out of the Im- in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. When we gossip and when we slander, we're speaking about those made in the image of God. And all the while, we'll lift up our hands and praise the God who has so fearfully and wonderfully made me. But he fearfully and maybe wonderfully made everyone else, too. Gossip and slander tears down those made in the image of God and in so doing indirectly speaks against God, the one who created them. So that's what gossip and slander is and how we engage in it. The next question becomes, why? Why do we engage in it? Why do we do it? Well, let me give you a few reasons here. The first is just plain old-fashioned pride. You saw this in 3 John 3, 9 through 10. I have written something to the church, but Diophrates who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Here we see pride, self-righteousness. And out of that self-righteousness, we love ourselves. And thus, we become very critical of others and speak about our sin as if it is minimal. It's just a little bit. Let me tell you about this person. Paul Tripp, talking about this, said this, When you forget who you are, failing to recognize your own weaknesses and failures, it's much easier to be critical. Critical responses to others are always rooted in self-righteousness. Think about that. Critical responses to others rooted in self-righteousness. The second reason why we gossip and slander is We lack understanding of the gospel. We really do. We're failing to grasp the grace and the love that's extended to us from God through Christ to us. And we're forgetting and we're failing 
that others are sinners saved by grace just as we are. And our lack of understanding of the gospel here makes us blind to our own sin. We don't recognize how sinful we truly are. We don't uh, understand how God's grace is so essential for us. And so we think that we are not quite as bad. I think here of the story I, I read this week of a rural pastor. The pastor was preparing to preach in this rural town from James chapter 3. And he was preaching on the tongue. And in his mind as he was preparing, he kept thinking of this older woman in the church that was just a gossip. And she was always spreading rumors in the church and always causing damage in the church. And he kept thinking and praying that she would be there to hear God's word, that she'd hear it and she'd repent. And then Saturday night, a large snowstorm moved in. And snow fell all night. And the next morning, the pastor got to church. And the time of the service came. And the only person to show up was that lady who gossiped. And so he thought, well, what do I do? And he decided, I'm just going to preach the sermon. And so he preached the sermon. And he preached his heart out as if the church was full. And afterwards, the woman came up looking sorrowful, looking sad. She said, oh, pastor one of the best sermons I've ever heard you preach. It's just so sad that all the people who needed to hear it this morning weren't here. The third reason, we're prone to sin. We are prone to sin. And that includes tearing down others. Proverbs 18, 6 through 8 says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Gossip is like tasty morsels. We like them. They're good. And even though we know we shouldn't have them, it's kind of like fudge at Christmas. I've already had three pieces, but they're good. I'm going to pack down another piece. Gossip. Tasty morsels. Just consider this. If no one listened to gossip in the church, guess what there wouldn't be in the church? Gossip. And finally, we gossip and slander because we lack self-control. We lack self-control. Proverbs 26.20 helps us here. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, again, that's a gossiper, strife ceases. This proverb is teaching us as long as we keep putting wood on the fire, the fire will keep burning. But if we stop putting wood on it, the fire has to go out. And likewise, if we stop gossiping, gossip will end in the church. But that takes self-control. Self-control of one tongue, one's tongue. So those are the heart motivations for why we gossip. Now let's look quickly at the results of gossip. First, our relationship with God is hindered. You cannot be a gossiper and claim a good relationship with God. Sin separates, and God lists gossip in lists and marks them off as a fool and a sinner. And so we can't engage in this without it affecting our relationship with God. Ken Sandy, writing about gossip, said this, If you engage, indulge in reckless talk, falsehood, gossip, slander, or any other form of worthless talk, 
your character will be eroded and your relationship with God will suffer. It will. But second, your relationship with others is hindered. Your relationship with others is hindered. A perverse man, Proverbs 16, 28 again, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Sows strife, separates the best of friends. Well, here's, here's the ironic thing. When we gossip and talk about someone behind their back or, or subtly tear someone down or, or things like that, the people around us take note and they mark off, don't share something important with that person because they're just going to talk about it. Relationships suffer. Unity breaks down. And finally, there is a breakdown of our character. There's a breakdown of our character. Proverbs eleven thirteen, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. One who is trustworthy keeps a thing covered. And the implication is, one who does not is not trustworthy. Breakdown of character. long time ago, a, a sports journalist by the name of Morgan Blake, maybe you've heard this, wrote this. He says, I am more deadly than the screaming shell of the canyon, cannon. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is gossip. And I think it's a good, accurate quote, especially all the references to the innocent. They're often, the victims are often innocent. So if gossip and slander is so dangerous and we need to flee from it, we need to recognize that we're, the Bible always calls us not just to flee from something, but to flee from something to something. So, we need to run to something. We need to run to affirmation. We need to run to affirmation. Rather than being one who gossips and tears down people, we should be those who build up people and affirm and encourage people. Romans 15.2 says this, Let each of us please his neighbor for good, leading to edification. Likewise, Ephesians 4.29, which is our text for next week, says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Rather than tear down, our words should be used to build up. They should be imparting grace to those we are around. And we're going to look at this, as I said, more fully next week, but one of the ways that we can stop gossiping is to start affirming and encouraging. Consider with me again James 3. James 3, 9 through 10. James is writing this. With it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God or in the likeness of God or in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not 
to be so. Now, go back to what he says there. We bless our God and we curse men. There's a contrast being shown right there. This word that James uses to bless means to speak well of, to praise. It's a word that can be used both towards God and to one another. And thus, we should bless God and we should bless one another. Or another way we could put it is we should praise God and we should praise one another. Now, what I'm not saying here, listen carefully, what I'm not saying here is we should praise and worship one another. Just want to head off a little gossip opportunity right there. Okay, pastor in church said we should start worshiping one another and writing songs about one another. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Talking about the word that James uses here to bless. Consider Proverbs 31. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be what? Praised. Praised. So why should we bless one another? Speak well of one another. Praise one another. Well, James has the answer. Because we are made in the image of God. We are made in his image. And so God is glorified when we praise someone, when we encourage someone, when we affirm someone, because that's God's work in them. And if all things come from God our Father, then all the good things that reflect him should be praised. We're actually ultimately praising God. Sam Crabtree wrote an excellent book called Practicing Affirmation. And in this book, he says, God is glorified in us when we affirm the work he has done and is doing in others. Good affirmations are God-centered, pointing to the image of God in a person. Now, we see many examples in the scriptures of encouraging and affirming people. We move on from Proverbs 31. We see Jesus doing the same thing. Verse that's always fascinated me in John 1, 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Isn't that amazing? He sees Nathanael and says, That's a man of integrity and honesty. And interestingly, Nathan, Nathanael doesn't go, Oh, Jesus, don't say that. No, Nathanael says, How did you know me? How did you know me? It's a fascinating text. Or consider 2 Peter 3.15. Peter's writing about Paul. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Four affirmations in that verse. Do you see him? He's... Paul, Peter is saying, Paul is beloved. Secondly, he is our brother. He's our brother in Christ. Thirdly, he has wisdom. Fourth, he has written to you. He has served you. He has sacrificed himself to write to you. Four affirmations in one verse. Or consider this verse. Paul here is the one affirming now. In 2 Timothy 1, 16 through 18. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, 
He sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Passage is just dripping with affirmation and encouragement. We see everything going on here. God is the ultimate giver of mercy and hope, as we see in there twice. Onesiphorus was purposeful to refresh Paul. His words were a refreshment, and he, he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. And then he, Paul says, and, and you all saw this, and, and you would have been encouraged as well. And when encouragement and affirmation begin happening, a culture of refreshment is established and experienced. So a good question for you this morning. Are you an onisiphorus? It's a fun word to say. Say it five times fast. Are you like that? Are you one who's like, man, that person brings refreshment? person brings refreshment to the church. That person brings refreshment to the home. That person brings refreshment to the workplace. What are you known more for? Criticizing, complaining, gossiping, or being a refreshment in the lives of others? Are you more known at home for your critiques or your praise? Here's a very challenging thing to consider. Challenging for me, anyways. Ask your spouse this. Are you more likely to hear from me words of affirmation and encouragement or words of critique? Ask your spouse that. Pretty sure what my spouse would say, what my wife would say. I hear more critique. And then after you ask your wife that, or your husband, then I dare you, ask your children. Are you more likely, kids, to hear from me words of affirmation and encouragement, or are you more likely to hear critiques and complaints? Sam Crabtree in his book said this, Think of it this way. Give so many affirmations as a pattern, a way of life, that you gain a reputation for it. You are known for your affirmations, not your criticisms, your corrections. In Acts 4.36, Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. What's my reputation? Mr. Krabby Pants? Old Lady Battle Axe? Miss Nitpick? We should unleash so many affirmations that those around us lose track. What are you more known for? Consider a couple of Proverbs on this issue. Proverbs 12.25, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 16:24 Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Do your words bring sweetness to the soul? In his book Practicing Affirmation, Sam Crabtree lists several reasons for being someone who encourages and affirms. I'm going to have to go through these quickly. But here's he, he lists more. I just pulled seven out of here. First of all, being one who encourages and affirms lifts morale. Lifts morale in the home, lifts morale in the workplace, in the church. It's not to manipulate people, by the way. Secondly, it energizes people. Third, it makes us easier to live with. 
let's be honest, you aren't as awesome and easy to live with as you think. (laughs) And I'm not as awesome and easy to live with as I think. But when we affirm and encourage, it makes us easier to live with. Fourth, it puts us in the practice of looking at people positively, looking for evidences of God's work in them. Where do I see God at work in my son's life? Where do I see God at work in my daughter's life? Where do I see God at work in my wife's life? Fifth, go back there. It constructively uses time that could have been wasted complaining. I love that one. How much time we spend wasting complaining and grumbling and critiquing that could have been used for building others up. Sixth, by commending Christ-like qualities and celebrating them when we spot them, affirmation showcases the character of God, giving him honor for who he is. And then lastly, when we commend God's image in people, God is glorified. And that's why we're made, to glorify God. That's why we're made, to glorify him. One of my mentors is very gifted and very good at encouragement and affirmation. Especially when I was a young and inexperienced associate pastor, there was much to criticize me about in those years. But he was constantly encouraging, saying things to me like these, you really did a good job with that sermon, even though it was really raw really rough he'd say things like thank you for investing in the youth i can see you love your wife and it shows you handled that situation really well good job but then there came a day when he had to confront me and it wasn't a sin issue it was just an area i needed to grow in as a young man in ministry to make me more effective in ministry it was a hard rebuke and i took it hard It was difficult, but not once did I doubt his love or care for me. And afterwards, his demeanor towards me didn't change one bit. The encouragement and affirmation continued in the days and weeks and months and years after that time. Friends, what are you more known for? What is your tongue more known for? Proverbs 12, 18 There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise person promotes health. Is your tongue more like a piercing sword? Wounding, cutting, scarring, producing wounds with gossip and slander? Or does your tongue promote health? Bringing life to those in your path. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. May we be people who are wise. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word that confronts us on a topic that we often just kind of brush under the rug. We spiritualize it. We kind of ignore it. We pretend it isn't that bad. And yet the warnings about this issue of gossip and slander are multiple, as well as the descriptions of the harm that it brings, as well as the description of the person who engages in it. And so, Father, may we be challenged this morning, and may we evaluate our speech. 
And may we strongly consider if we're more known for our words being piercing and cutting than bringing health. And Father, would you bring conviction where we need to be convicted in this area? Would you bring repentance? Would you help us to be people who turn from speaking negatively about others and criticizing others to be people who are affirming and encouraging? Lord, help us to be people who build one another up and recognize the image of God in each one, that you would be glorified and we would be built up and edified. So, Father, please work in our lives to this end so that in all of these things we would love you more and love each other better. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.